It's like, just get started and do something that moves you forward yeah. um, and, and and get the ball rolling. You don't, you know, if you wait until the full plan's in place, you're, you're not going to get done, but just get moving. Yeah. And then, and, you know, I, and I remember having a conversation with a woman about who she wanted to start her own business. And I said, just do something in the next 72 hours. Hmm. Uh, you know, whatever, start writing your business plan, go out and get a domain name, but just do one thing. Right. And then when that's done, do one more thing. Right. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Helping People Perform, where I'm talking to some, to some amazing guests about how their chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. Delighted to be joined today all the way from the San Francisco Bay Area over in the States. We have with us today executive coach, author, speaker, uh, ultra-endurance athlete, and founder and principal consultant at Summiting Group. Uh, welcome to the show today, Brian Gillette. Welcome. Uh, thanks, Paul. It's a pleasure to be on your show and look forward to, uh, to talking a little bit more. Fantastic. I'm sure it's going to be a great one. And I've heard some of your story in, uh, previously on other podcasts. Uh, and I've also read up on some of the bits that you've done and some of your books and all the rest of it that's out there. Um, there's some amazing stories in there and some amazing things that people can take away, which I think is a critical part um, of this podcast sharing platform is to allow people to go away with something that they can implement as well. So um, before we get kicked off in terms of who you help and how you help them. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself? You know, who are you and how did you get to where you are today? Well, you know, I, again, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, kind of who I am, you, you hit some of the key points. So I, I am a, a just recently post or about a year ago, put out a book um, called, called Epic Performance. We'll dig into that one a little bit more. Um, I speak in front of groups. I'm an executive coach. You know, from the business side, I really focus on two things, Paul. One is working one-on-one -on -one with leaders, directors, vice presidents, and helping them. You know, they've been successful in their career and helping them maybe polish in a certain areas or right. kind of help them rise a little bit up, a little bit higher to be a little bit better in what they do. So it's working one-on-one. -on -one. And then a lot of what I do is also work in groups. So you've got a, a group of leaders that are coming together. They're trying to get aligned. Maybe they're not necessarily aligned. Yeah. And and working with them to get them moving in the same direction, thinking about where do they want to go over the next five years or 10 years, or in some cases, maybe it's just one or two years. Right. Um, so that's on the business side. I am a, a husband and father of two kids, two right. uh, teenage boys. So living the life of having two uh, teenage boys. And I will tell you, it gets better and better every day. So that's good. Um, I, you know, I spent, I've, I've had my own business for about the last 11 years. And prior to that, I was an executive in human resources. So okay. I've run all of HR. Um, I spent a lot of my career running leadership and development uh, right. functions, yeah. um, predominantly in technology since about uh, 2000. And then prior to that, I was in financial services. Right. Also, I mean, the other thing is you talked about it and I think it's an important part of who I am is an ultra distance athlete. So I've yeah. done a lot around biking and, uh, um, running. So right. that, that between the kind of the executive and the ultra distance is, is what the book's about and how do you, how do you reach those big peaks? 
Brilliant. So maybe let's dig into uh, both of those things. But let's start with maybe the um, the professional side, uh, should we call it. In terms of the things that you've picked up in that career in HR and L&D, you know, the, those insights and those things that have stuck with you throughout the years, what are some of the key points that um, you've experienced in that environment that you still take with you today, either good, bad or ugly or indifferent? Well, I mean, there's there's been a lot that I've learned, um, you know, in terms, I, I focus a lot around leading and managing people. And, and there's often a lot of talk about, okay, is there the optimal way to be a leader? Mm. So the optimal way to be a manager and, and, and there are things that help somebody be successful. There are kind of common traits that help somebody be successful, but I've seen leaders come from all different backgrounds all different styles and it's being able to adjust your style for the right audience. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm talking to a group next week and you know, there are 16 people in the room and they all, have, they all have very different styles. Mm. And part of what I have to do is get them to recognize what's the strength of their style and how they lead and what do they bring to the table mm. and then what, you know, how, how can they help the team out? So I think the biggest thing that I've, you know, one of the bigger things I've learned is, is we all bring different things to the table. Indeed. And it's sometimes it's a strength. You know, there's sometimes that, you know, I, I, I can be pretty analytical at times and it's sometimes that's a strength, but in sometimes that's a weakness, right? depending on what the situation is. So you've got to be able to see that situation. You got to be able to know to how to adjust. And as a leader, Mm. The, the really good leaders know when to have that analytical hat on, maybe have that uh, sympathetic hat on, mm. maybe that kind of driver hat on. And so being able to adjust. So so that's one of the big things I've learned. Um, and the other thing, and, and this is something I'm constantly working on, is that leaders, you know, kind of people that have moved up are successful because of the people around them. And how do you leverage those skills? How do you make sure that those people are treated appropriately and they want to work with you? Right. Um, so it, it's, uh, I think that's a, just a key element. And I'm always, always working to make, do better at that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? That people have to remember that the, the people they're leading are humans and they have lives around them. They have passions, they have uh, pressures. And it's about understanding those people at an individual level in order to get the best out of them for the, the themselves and their team. Right? Yeah, and you know it, it's funny because um, there's there's two people that I that I can put in my head that are, have been CEOs um, or are CEOs at, at this point, and one of them is highly it was a highly successful CEO, kind of very sought out. The other one is sought out, um, had two CEO jobs that didn't go as well. Right. And and I was kind of thinking about the two of them and how are they different and I and I think of the one that is highly successful, and and what he thinks about the way I, I picture him is he cares about the organization and about the people around him, mm. and the other one why I don't think he's been as successful is he cares about himself first. Right. And and it's that I mean when you get into you know a senior any type of leadership role. You are there because of the organization and the people around you. Mm. You're not there necessarily for yourself. And so as, as I was thinking about this yesterday, it was funny. I was just having this conversation with, with someone about how we were comparing these two people. And it's like, yeah, that one person who, who he's had kind of two failures as a CEO, I, I think the reason why is he only he cares about himself first versus this other one. Mm. So it's, it's where's your heart go? Yeah. 
No, I, I I was reflecting on this uh, recently with somebody because I I spent a few years working with McLaren Formula One team and uh, mm. uh, they during my time there I think the technical terms they were riding the crest of a slump, uh, they were having a, a terrible time, really falling behind. They, we didn't even know where the future of the organisation was going to be, um, and Zach Brown is the new CEO who's come in. He's done some amazing things, but when I listen to him speaking in those tough times, it's always been about what I'm trying to do as a leader is this, and I'm trying to help the people. And it's all, you know, when the times are tough, it's, he talks about what he can do. And then yeah. more recently, uh, in fact, this weekend, um, Lando Norris uh, <laughs> got uh, on the podium somewhere we haven't been in a while. And, he's, and, and all the talk was like the team have done brilliantly and the, the drivers and the team that have brought this together. It's those bits of the language and the subtlety of, as a leader, I'm going to take the pressure and I'm going to give you the the, the kudos when things go right. Um, I, yeah. I love that. I mean, I love that example. It's, yeah, mm -hmm. when is it about when is it about you? When's it about the team? And he's he's the hard times he's taken them on. Yeah. I, I you know along those lines, I've uh, I've watched the Netflix series Formula oh, yeah. One. Yeah. yeah. And it's fast. I'm not. I'm not a Formula One. You know, I, I'm not. I don't have a big interest in in that. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. What I love watching about it is the strategy behind it. Mm. The team, you often think about something like that, or even I'm a cyclist, mm. is cycling is it's a it's a one person show. Mm. And it's not. I mean, yeah. there, there's one person that crosses the finish line and stands on the podium. Yeah. But that's because of 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 people behind him or her. Mm. And, and I think Formula One's a great example. The reason why that driver was standing on the, the Landon Norris was standing on the, the podium was because you look at the pit crew. I mean, my gosh! I mean, that, that that's an amazing, amazing organization to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I love that examples. Yeah. Um, well, that brings us nicely then to the cycling and the running. Um, and when you say endurance sport or ultra endurance, we're not just talking like a marathon or a couple of marathons here, are we? Tell us a bit more about firstly, how did you get into cycling and running, and then where have you taken that? Yeah, so I've always been a cyclist, um, you know, from from the time I was a little kid, um, I've always loved just getting on a bike and just going it kind of I think every kid who gets their bike for the first time realizes it's it's freedom, it allows you to go and do things. Um, and then you get to turn 16, at least in the US and you get your driver's license. Right. But I've always loved that. And and I remember um, my first long distance ride, it was a 200 mile ride, I did it over four days, I did it with my parents when I was a young teenager. Wow. And rode from the San Francisco Bay Area up to Yosemite National Park. Right. Just beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And I and I think from there I got hooked on that ability to go to some place on your own, you know, power. Right. And so I've done a number of a number of, of long distance rides. I cycled across the United States, which is four thousand miles. Wow. Um, and, and then it continued, I did a lot of one day events. So a hundred miles in a day, 200 miles in a day. I did a 300 miler in one day over about 25 hours. Just, mm. it was the first time I'd gone through the night right? where, where you, you don't sleep at all during, you know, for the 24 hours or 25 hours. And as I was finishing that, I thought, okay, I've done a lot on the bike. Maybe I should think about something else because I'm always thinking about what's that goal that I want to focus on. Right. And I thought, I'm going to set a goal for a marathon. And went out, did the marathon. Then friends and I were talking. It's like, what, let's do a 50 miler. 
did a 50 miler, did a hundred miler. And then we have this, this, this run that goes, it went around Lake Tahoe. It's right. 200 miles. So it's eight marathons virtually back to back. Right. And, and, you know, it did that in 76 hours. So with about 90 minutes of sleep and it just, I love that, that ability to push yourself right. to understand where those limits, mm. if they exist and, and how do you just kind of take yourself a little bit further? Yeah. Oh, amazing. I mean, so inspiring in its own right. Um, but I know from listening to uh, to other shows where, where you've been talking and it, a, a friend of ours who introduced us, uh, Jens Heitland, you know, his episode goes into a, a lot of detail on this front. He's a big running and cycling fan himself. Um, but you talk a lot about the preparation. And I love the phrase that I picked up on, which is, if you can get to the start line, you can certainly get to the finish line. Uh, you know, it's, it's, tell us about that, you know, and what you've learned on that front. You know, when, when you think about preparing for a 200 mile run, it's not, you know, the, the run from the start line to the finish line, you have 100 hours to do it. Right. So effectively, it's four days to do that. To, mm -hmm. to, and and you can you can sleep whenever you want if you decide to sleep. You, but, you know, you have 100 miles from start to finish, 100, mm -hmm. 100 hours from start to finish. Now, in order to get to the start line. You may, it may take you a year of preparation. Mm. So I had, let's say in November, the, the prior year, I just finished a hundred mile run. So uh, 24 hours, 20, almost 25 hours. So I was in pretty good physical shape. Mm. And so I finished that. I took a, about a month or two off of serious training. And then kind of January really started to ramp up for the 200 mile run that was going to be in September. Mm. So eight, roughly eight months of training. So in that, if you just look at that eight month period of training, there's a lot that can go wrong in eight months yeah. and you have to stay focused on eight months. And it's a long time right. where, so if you can get to that start line, six, you know, uh, in, in the shape that you need to be and not injured, then getting the next hundred hours isn't as bad. Because the hard work is really get you the start line, and I and I think about that in in even in careers, it's like you're trying to get to a certain point. It's a lot of work to get there, and then you get there, yeah. <laughs> and it's like okay, now now how do I hold on to it? Yeah. So I've always felt, especially with ultra distance endurance athletes, if you can get to the start line healthy, you've done the hard work, right. um, and it's you know it's that, then you again you get to enjoy the event. Nice. Enjoying 200 mile run. But I mean, as you as much as you could enjoy a 200 mile run, Paul. <laughs> Fantastic. And and I'm what I'm fascinated in is the mindset, you know, it obviously takes a lot of physical preparation there. But what were the difficulties? What are some of the obstacles that you came across in the uh, from the mindset perspective in that eight month period, for instance, you know, in that? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I and people often think, oh, my physically, I could never do that. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's no doubt physically running a 200 mile run is is hard uh, mm -hmm. and running a marathon is hard. Um, and, and what's interesting, I read some statistics that only 1% of the U.S. population, I'm not sure what the U.K. population is, I'd probably guess it similar numbers, mm -hmm. but only 1% of the U.S. population has run a marathon. Right. And I would say probably 99% could. Right. Not 99% may not want to. That's a, that's a very <laughs> different thing. Yeah. But the people that come to me and say, oh, you know, I could never run it, I think, hmm. 
that, that's in your head. Mm, right. If you don't want it, don't want to do it, then go do something else. Mm. But if you want to, you probably could. So mindset, I think, in in something like this is far more powerful than in the uh, than the, the physical body. Right. I uh, I've done a number of events. Um, good friend of mine who you know he was he's in he and I were doing our first fifty miler together. He was in better sh- physical shape than I am. He could run faster, um, and but he had not run anything over twenty six miles, nor had I at the time. Mm. I had done a lot more longer distance stuff right. on the bike, and so I knew the mindset. And I thought, you know, uh, mindset wise, I could probably handle it. And uh, when I when we predict, I was kind of predicting who's going to finish first, and I predicted he would finish an hour ahead of me. And he ended up finishing two hours behind me, and it was probably the mind that that got to him. Right. Um, I, that's where one of my strengths is that ability to, when things are just going really bad, that ability to okay, what do I need to do to get through this? Right. I, I remember, and I'll give you one of the lessons. I remember um, one of the things I had to do to train for the two hundred mile run is I had to do four long distance runs in a row. So thirty, I did four thirty mile runs in a row. So. Sunday would do 30, Monday 30, Tuesday 30, and then Wednesday 30 miles. Right. And I remember on the third day, I was about 10 miles into the run. So I'd already run 70 miles in the last like two and a half days. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and and my legs, it was hot because it was August um, in California. I was tired. I just wanted to stop. And I thought, you know, what I'm going through is hard. There's no doubt about it. I could, you know, in in 15 minutes, I could be home sitting on the couch. And I thought about, kind of put things in perspective. Right. And and I thought about what a friend of mine was going through. She had breast, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And what I was going through was voluntary. Mm. And the pain could be over in a very short amount of time. What she was going through wasn't voluntary and the pain wasn't going to be over anytime soon. And so it, it started to put things in perspective. It's like, if she can make it through that situation that's far worse than what I'm going through. Yeah. I can definitely persevere. So maybe I'll just walk for a little bit and then I'll get back and go run in it. And so and I did that and, and as I was I was relaying this story to her um about a year year after that situation, she said, you know, it's funny Brian because I was doing the same thing because I had a friend that was going through something much worse than I was going through. Right. So there's always somebody going through something much worse. There's always something, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, those situations, you know, we we diminish what the pain we're experiencing, Mm -hmm. but it makes me realize that, okay, I can probably deal with more pain because I know others have. Right. So how do you, how do you put things in perspective is something I use a lot. Um, And and then when you're running 200 miles and you've got a hundred hours to do it, you know, you know, I'm not, you don't want to stop it because it's like, or you don't want to quit, but you could just let, let me just stop and rest for a little bit. Right. Cause I, I've got the time and mm-hmm. then I can continue on. So mm-hmm. those are, I mean, those are a couple of things I use a fair amount of. Oh, I mean, wonderful. Uh, and I love that reframing or, or perspective change. Um, and that even the, the little subtleties there of, you don't have to, you know, you can stop and you can stop and rest, or you can just slow down a bit and walk for a little while and then get your, get yourself right and then move on. I think yeah. there's so many opportunities to use that in business. 
you know, I, I, speaking to a lot of leaders who are going through something, it's like everything's hectic at the moment. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. Well, slow down a little bit. Keep things floating. You know, don't drop all of the balls that you're trying to juggle. Pick the critical ones. Keep things going. Get yourself some uh, perspective. Get some coaching, and then move forward and and push on again to the next thing. Yeah, and Paul, and ask yourself, what is it I need today, right now, to make things a little bit better? Mm. And, and I'll give you an example. You know, three years ago, so many of us moved from an office into our home. Yeah. And, you know, at, at the office, we had, we may had these great chairs, we had, you know, ergonomically, they were perfect, our, our monitors were in the right location, everything was set up because, you know, the, er the ergonomic group did that. And at home, it wasn't the case. Yeah. And so now we're working on maybe a smaller screen, a you know, a, a fold up chair. And, and so I was talking to somebody going through this, I said, what is it? that could make, and, and they were really having a huff, tough time because, you know, the kids were home, everything was going bad and their neck was sore. And it's like, what could make it better today? Hmm. And they said, well, if my monitor was like four inches higher because I'm looking down like this and it's hurting my neck, it's like, put a book under it, figure out what you need right now. Yeah. Fix that small thing. Cause, cause small things, you know, if you can fix the small things, they don't become big things because small things are easy to fix. Hmm. They're hard to see. Big things are hard to fix, but they're easy to see. And like, let's get those small things fixed before they become big things. Yeah. What a story. <laughs> Great lesson in that in, in its own right. Well, uh, um, so I think we've we've covered a bit there about, you know, that ties into the who do you help and how do you help them? You know, you talk about those lessons from endurance. You bring a huge amount of experience from that world of, uh, of HR leadership and L&D. Um, so who do you work with these days and uh, and what do you help them help people to do? Yeah. So most of the time I'm working with mid-sized corporations. Um, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so a lot of my clients are in the San Francisco Bay Area. But, you know, I have I have some large, larger clients that are all over the world as well. Mm. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, kind of the two things that I'm focusing on, I'm working with those directors or vice presidents who are right. leaders and you know, they, they want to get a little bit of more awareness of who they are, how they come across as a leader. So whether that's doing a 360 evaluation or doing some level of assessment and then helping them understand, it's like, here, Paul, here, here's what your strengths are. Mm. And here's some, some strengths that if they're overused, they could become derailers or weaknesses. Yeah. And here's how you may come across to certain people. Um, so you can understand that perception. And a lot of times, you know, I, I remember I was I was working with a CFO of an organization and his perception was he was good with numbers, but he wasn't as good as he thought he was. Right. And he's the CFO of the company. Hmm. And so I, I asked the people around him, um, you know, his peers, his, his, uh, his uh, direct reports and his boss, you know, what's his level of accounting it's like he's one of them like he's one of the best right and and so we often operate based you know based on what we think and and i was trying to get this guy to realize it's like no people think you are the best so you probably aren't operating or influencing at the level you need to so it's it's working with people like that to understand their perception right. how they come across and then again it's working with teams you know i i like to work with teams who are trying to stretch themselves further right you know, it's, it's how are you pushing, you know, this team, maybe you think you can accomplish up to this level. 
maybe what if we went a little bit higher? Mm. How do we push a little bit higher? So those are kind of the people that I, or in organizations I type to help, I tend to help. Brilliant. Um, and so let's flip it on its head a little bit and say, how do you get help with your own performance? Who do you go to? What do you do that keeps you performing at your best? Yeah. There are a couple of people on the professional side that I really respect their opinion. Um, so you, you kind of break my life down into a couple different areas. There's there's the work side, the professional side. There's there's the parent right. side, yeah. you know, and then there's the athlete side. And so I have different people in each bucket. I mean, I, I have two boys that you know that are teenagers, and so I have fr uh, some friends that I respect as parents hmm. that have kids that are a little bit older. Right. And so I'll call them up or my wife will call them up and well, it's like, let's get feedback from them. Right. So it's it's having having those people that you really respect. Mm. Um, you know, there's a couple people on the professional side that I can think of that think very differently than I do. Mm. And I like to get their perspective because they think in ways that I don't normally do. And so it, it gets me it gets me thinking. It's like, OK, yeah, that's that's probably a better way to handle the situation. I realized um, I realized a while back, and it's an exercise I do with folks, is write down a list of all your mentors. And then let's start to look at the diversity level of those people. You know, diversity in education, in ethnicity, and maybe in religion, maybe in politics, mm -hmm. um, in terms of uh, career, you know, career. Just look at the diversity. And I found that a lot of mine were kind of fairly narrow in its, their level of diversity. And so right. now it's like I'm stretching out because I can get a different perspective. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's kind of the, what I like to get. And those are the people I rely on. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts yeah. um, and just to stay up on things and what's going on is another way that I, I kind of try to stay up to speed. But there's a couple people I really rely on and will pick their brain. brain. Yeah. Oh, I think it's a... It, such an interesting lesson for people who are thinking about getting a mentor or, or some advice. I think with just that thing you picked up on with the parents is if you can pick somebody who's only a little bit further ahead, they've been through where you are right now and they can, they can look back on it with some level of perspective. Yeah. So, so it's like, yep. Yeah, I know it's going to feel hard. That's going to be a, a real tough period, but there is an end to it. It might not be, you know, it might be another problem or something else that goes on. But, you know, this is what tended to work in my situation or, or this is what I would maybe advise for you going forward. So, yeah, a wonderful lesson in its, its own right. Yeah. Um, and I just realized that one thing I did want to pick up on in terms of the, the helping people perform side, um, I just want to go back to the book, you know, Epic Performance. You know, it's, uh, um, tell us a bit about, the book and i know i'm a lover of an acronym yeah uh, and I, I think if if the acronym go fits in with the uh, story that you're trying to tell even better so uh, yeah. epic i love it tell us all about it yeah so the the title of the book is epic performance lessons from 100 executives and endurance athletes on reaching your peak and i, I went out and i interviewed 100 people mostly on the at the C level so CEO CIO CFO kind of the, the top of their their game to understand what they what they did and what they do to kind of get got, get to that level and mm -hmm. then a bunch of ultra distance athletes people that have done a minimum of the equivalent of like an ironman right 
Um, so, or some ultra distance run or swim or bike ride. Um, you know, I, I, I talked to two people who did seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Wow. <laughs> um, and so these are big things. And I think there was, you know, my, my hunch was there was a lot of similarities between people that achieve big things in life and in sport. And, and I ended up finding that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so what Epic is Epic performance, that's five behaviors, kind of five pillars that make this up. The E in Epic stands for how do you envision the big things in life that you want to accomplish? So you got to be able to see the future in order to go to the future. Right. Um, and so that's the E. The P is how do you put a plan in place to get there? You know, you don't just, you know, see, oh, I want to be CEO and then just kind of go. Yeah. It's, you know, some people do, but you know, most people are, it's like they have a focus in a direction. It's like, this is how I want to get to where I'm going. Mm. Um, the I is how do you iterate to that plan? You don't start off running a marathon. Mm. You start off running a 5K, a 10K, you work your way up, right. you figure out the kinks and then you get it, you, um, you kind of improve, prove your way up. The C is how do you collaborate with others? Mike, my, my get well, you, you'd mentioned it, you know, there's somebody that got you into podcasting and you yeah. probably, I'm sure you probably talked to him a lot about what was involved. Yeah. You know, how do you collaborate with others, people that have gone before you and been successful or even failed? Yes. And learn from learn from there those people, and then the lastly the the performance part is you're standing at the start line, and now you got to go do it. So how do you how do you just go out and perform what you wanted to perform? So that's what Epic Performance is is all about. Wonderful, and I know the uh, the book's available on Amazon, and like you know we'll make sure that the links are in the show notes, and I really encourage people to go and check that out and uh, and take a look at it and take some lessons from it because I, I love a good framework because it for me a framework is something that says I don't know where to start but I've got some steps here that if I start at step one there is an end result to this and I might not get there but I, I can I can work my way through this in order to get towards that goal yeah and Paul I, lo- I like what you said there because you know, I don't know where to start is often a big thing. Mm. And and so what I tried to do is put a very practical guide on how do you get started? I mean, one of the things, you know, people say, you know, I've had a number of people come up. It's like, ah, I don't couldn't even run a marathon. And alas, do you want to run a marathon? Mm. And or, you know, oh, I'm afraid to start my own business. Well, do you want to start your own business? And if the answer is yes, it's like, OK, do one thing in the next 72 hours that moves you forward. Right. So I have, you know, under the plan section, I have get started is the, the that first chapter under there. Yeah. And then the next one is kind of put put a plan in place. Right. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like just get started and do something that moves you forward. Yeah. Um and and, and get the ball rolling. You don't, you know, if you wait until the full plans in place, you're you're not going to get done, but just get moving. Yeah. And then, you know, and I remember having a conversation with a woman about who she wanted to start her own business. And I said, just do something in the next 72 hours. Hmm. Uh, You know, whatever, start writing your business plan, go out and get a domain name, but just do one thing. And then when that's done, do one more thing. Right. You know, it's, it's, uh, and it just kind of get that ball rolling. Oh, wonderful lesson in its own right. There's some some absolute gems in this. I'm loving it all. (laughs) Um, Let's move on to a slightly different question now in terms of in an ideal world, if you could help 
any individual or team or organization with the skill set you've got and the lessons that you've got and the uh, the history you've got who would you want that to be and why the i do a lot with corporations and get paid fairly well to do that and there's a reward there um but where i see most of the reward is when I do work with nonprofits or people that maybe can't afford my services. Right. Um, my dad was a foster kid, which you know he he grew up without parents. Right. And for part of his his life, he lived on the streets, and so he did not have all the privileges that that I had, nor that my kids have. Right. And so, when I can work with somebody that is in that situation, mm. and they don't pay me a thing. I often find tremendous reward there. Mm. Um, I I am a I teach at a university nearby, and there's a lot of the kids that have had a pretty rough environment um, growing up. Mm. So many of them, it's the first time going to college, and you know they're they've gone on to college. Now I'm teaching at the masters. I'm teaching at the graduate level, right. and and there's some kids I hear their story. And I will spend an inordinate amount of time with them after class to help them get what they want in order because I get tremendous amount of fulfillment of seeing them succeed. Yeah. So, so I mean, those are the people where I get the most value, yeah. you know, per se. Um, I, I don't get any money, but that's not what's important. Um, and I always kind of look at it. It's like the corporate corporations, they're going to pay, you know, they're going to pay the full rate or, you know, most of the rate. But that gives me time and ability to work with some of the folks that just don't have access to these level of services. Mm. Uh, that's that's a wonderful thing in its own right. And I think if you, the one thing that's coming to my mind is that the value for the corporations is intrinsically linked to a monetary value in terms of why they're doing it. And so it makes sense for them to be paying uh, and and financing that that piece. But for the, I love that piece of the for the people who. The value is just a change in life or a change in perspective yeah. that allows them to lift their head above water or to go on to things that they never thought were possible. Then, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to have one or two conversations like that in my time, and it's it's rewarding beyond belief, isn't it? So. It, it it tremendously is. I, I I'm fortunate where I can choose a fair amount of my time and and work towards organizations like that. I've done a lot for my kids' schools. Right. And I get more reward. I, I feel better about it um, at the end of the day. Yeah. And and so that's I, I, I we don't all have that ability, that capability, not ability, but don't have that flexibility, I should mm. say. I do. And I'm going to take advantage of it. Brilliant. And so flipping that on its head a little bit, if you've got the opportunity to sit down and have a meal, have a drink, uh, have a coffee with somebody primarily to up your game and to learn from them and to up your performance in some way, who would you want that to be? You know, when I first heard this question, like, God, there's so many people I'd love to have, have, have lunch with or dinner with, you know, two people that come to mind and I'd want to have, have dinner with them at the same time. Okay. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard of both of these cause they're both us presidents. <laughs> right. Um, I'd love to have dinner with Barack Obama and George Bush two very different presidents. Yeah. Um, at times, I, it's like I, I agreed with what they were doing. At times, I disagreed with what they were doing. But what I have liked um, that they have done 
is they both kind of kind of come together on some common ground to help out bigger causes. And right. I would love to understand just from a leadership perspective, mm. forget the politics and where they stand on certain things. It's like, how did they how did they navigate through those difficult waters mm. um, where, you know, 50 percent of the population loves them and 50 percent hates them. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and they still have to move things forward. And then the fact that they've now where they disagreed on some things very heavily, now they can work together. So I'd love to be able to learn from them because and and. And how do they do that better? Because um, that's an area that I would love to be able to do better. It's like being able to hear someone else's perspective, even though I vehemently disagree with it. Right. And try to understand it a little bit more and take out the emotion of it. So yeah. those would be those would be two people that I think would be fascinating to sit down and eat uh, eat dinner with. Amazing. There's there's a whole bunch of other people that I could come up with. That, <laughs> I'm sure, sure there are. Um, and finally, then, uh, Brian, how do people get in touch and find out more? Where do they find out about the book and uh, and your services and and connect with you? Yeah, probably the easiest way. Well, a couple ways they can get. One of the easiest ways is if you go to epicperformances.com, and that's E P I C yeah. performances with an S, because the okay. book is Epic Performance. So epicperformances.com, that'll take you into my website, take you to what where the book is, and kind of links to to where you can buy it. It'll also talk it take you to where my services are. The other thing is connect up on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, you know Brian Gillette, and it's B R Y A N um, Gillette. Um, what I what I love to hear, Paul, is I love you know when people either hear the podcast and then they have some goal and they send it to me, right? And and chances are I'm going to respond pretty quickly because I love to hear those goals. It, it gets me excited, right? Um, to hear what people are doing. So send send me send me your goals and connect up with me on LinkedIn. Oh, wonderful. And we'll make sure, as always, that the those links are in the show notes so everyone can just uh, look down below and click on those and go straight to Brian. I do encourage, like I say with all of my guests, you know, uh, do reach out, get in touch. Everybody's out there. They want to connect and they want uh, we want to hear your stories. So do share as well. So, I mean, so many amazing stories, Brian, and such inspiration in terms of what you've achieved, but almost more in from my side is like how you've achieved it and how you've gone about preparing to achieve for those things and then are now helping others to do that for themselves so i applaud you for that and uh, and keep up the great work it's been a, a pleasure having you on the show today brian paul it, it was a pleasure being on your podcast and i appreciate your time and i wish you all the best and can't can't wait to hear what big things you're up to next brilliant i'll uh, i'll make a note to send through some goals to you great <laughs> cheers brian Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.